1: And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Okay. Well, the weather is is nice outside, although it's been pretty windy, hasn't it? uh, uh, But it's been nice, and we're always thankful for that. Might be a little bit of rain in our future, Lord willing. We could always use a little more rain. And today, in our program, I want us to take uh, a look again at 2 Peter chapter one, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at verses three and four. Today, I want us to look at verses five, six, and seven, and just to kind of get our minds back into the groove of things and what's going on. Uh, Peter here is is talking about the objective of all the Lord's disciples, and he's doing this by declaring three truths found in verses two through eleven. Of 2 Peter 1. We already looked at the first part, verses 3 and 4. There he talks about how Christians have been provided with everything necessary to become what God wants. We've got it all, He's given it to us already. That's where he says, there in verse 3 seeing that His God, or, yeah, uh, Jesus, I'm sorry, seeing that Jesus' divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature." Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And man, don't we want to escape the things of this world? At least I hope so. It baffles my mind. A little excursus here that, that, that was it the uh, HHS Health and Humane Services Secretary, uh, President Joe Biden's pick, who has to get confirmed by the Senate? Is this guy who is a transgender, meaning he's I guess transitioning to woman? Uh, I don't know if he's doing that by taking pills or whatnot, but you've seen if you've seen pictures of this guy, you could tell it's a guy got long hair, dresses like a woman, believes he's a woman, and who has stated in the past that he thinks children, toddlers. You know, five, six, eight years, I don't know how young uh, he thinks you can go, but he thinks those kids can make the choice without parent consent to change their gender via medication. That, that's insane. That is insane. There are two genders gender, I feel like I shouldn't have to say this on this radio program, but maybe I need you. I don't know. There's male, there is female. You are born, whatever. I was born a male. I cannot change that. Now I can become a eunuch, which is not going to happen. I can take you know medication or whatever that meds are to make me look like a woman, but I'm still a guy. I'm still a man. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay, so I'm going to go on a long excursus here. A great example of this is this Prager University. That's, um, oh, I forgot his name. The guy, oh, Dennis Prager, who puts together these, uh, he got this girl, this teenage girl who was in high school. She was the uh, track and field all-star of her school. And she wanted to, to win the championship for her school I think it was her state. It was up in the New England area, so she could go on to this multi-state reg- or regional um, championship, where you know all the the scouts were from the colleges to see to find these girls to, to bring to their schools, you know, and give them scholarships. She boy, this is what she's been training for her whole life, and she was a phenomenal runner. Well, two guys became transgender and joined the female running team. Well, they won first and second place. Blew her away. She worked her whole life for this. And she was pointing out in this video showing, here's their records, their speeds on whatever the, the, the total run was, and then showed the how even these, these boys, they were like one of the dead last. They were terrible amongst the boys as far as running goes. But it, with the girls, they blew them all away. In fact, these boys who cannot compete against other boys because they weren't fast enough, these transgenders, their performance, their run times beat the female Olympic gold medalists. Pro athlete female runners are not faster than a normal high school boy runner. I'm not saying this to disparage women, it's just, it's physiology. Men, boys, we are designed by God to be stronger. We run faster. And so, I want to escape this. (laughs) Getting back to our text. I want to get away from this kind of craziness. What a corruption. And we actually have someone like that, transgendered, picked To be the Health and Human Services Secretary. You gotta be kidding me. The man is mentally unstable. Unstable. I hope (laughs) the Senate does not approve it. Who knows? The world is upside down. Christians have been provided with everything necessary to become what God wants. Verses two or three and four. Now, what we're going to look at today, verses five through seven, there are specific attributes that must be added to our faith to, to get ourselves to that uh, um, divine nature as we grow into it. And then, lastly, what we're, we're not looking at today, but later on, diligence must be exercised in these to reach the Christian objective. So, based on what has been said, in verses 3 and 4, Peter's now ready for his exhortation. Here's what verse 5 states. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. Now, that expression, now for this very reason... That that brings us back over here to the the previous statements concerning what has been granted to us. We have what's necessary for the godly life and participation in that divine nature, verses 3 and 4. Yet something, though, right, is required of us. Something's required of us to reach this objective. It's not just, boom, there, you got it. Something's expected of us. So Peter says, Uh, that this involves applying all diligence. That word applying, that means to bring it in. All diligence or intense effort is what we bring to the table. God has provided the opportunity for us to share in the divine nature, but it doesn't happen automatically, does it? Nobody was baptized, raised up out of that, that watery grave, and then poof, all your problems and troubles go away. No, God just provide. He now provides us opportunity to share in that divine nature. Therefore, we need to supply. We must supply, add, furnish, or, or better yet, we must supply. That is, provide at our own expense the qualities that we're going to list here today. Found in verses five, six, and seven, and the beginning point is. In your faith. In your faith. Do not construe this faith as the first Christian virtue. It is not. We have already received the faith. Uh, there in verse one, Peter said, this is what Peter wrote. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. They've already received it. We've already got it. So faith is not, it's not something that we're talking about here. We've already got that, but now we are to put in effort to add seven qualities to our faith. In other words, faith is the root. This is the root from which all these other Christian graces or, or, or virtues, whatever you want to call them, grow. Peter does not call them virtues or graces. That's our custom, but maybe he may indicate the idea that these things are fruit, and that's why I call them. That's why how I like to see it. They're fruit because in first verse eight it says that if you have these, you are not unfruitful. You're not being unfruitful, meaning that which should these things should naturally be produced by our faith. Whatever we call them, this list is representative of the means to the divine nature. Each characteristic is connected to the preceding one. And in your moral excellence, add this, so on and so forth. So each may be seen as the opposite of what is advocated by false teachers all throughout Second uh, Peter. So let, let, let's get started, though. Let, let's look at the first one that we need to add to our faith. That is moral excellence. Moral excellence. I use the New American Standard Bible. That's the phrase they use, moral excellence. The King James Version says virtue. If you use the NIV, it's goodness. Some say work hard to be good. Some say courage. It can refer to excellence of achievement or mastery in a specific field or or to endowment with a higher power. It can refer to a lot of things. We we find the same Greek word over in Philippians 4, 8, 1 Peter 2, 9. We also find it in verse 3 here in our passage. I like what Linsky, he's one of my favorite commentators, I like what he says about this. He, uh, He says, Peter uses it twice in succession. Once to reference to God, that's verse 3, and again with reference to us. But both times... It's taken with the idea of praise. The sense of the term seems to be that uh, uh, that praise worthy or what is praise worthy of a person. The word it was commonly used in the Greek culture back in that day in time of the New Testament, and it would be used in ways to describe physical courage or or valor, strength, power, manliness, things like that. So typically for the the soldier. So with that in, in mind, with the idea of that which is truly praiseworthy of a person, think of this as we being the Christian soldier. We are not to be timid. We are not to be feeble. Our faith should exhibit a power befitting its source. We ought to be standing strong in our conduct, doing things that the church, that, that God would find as morally excellent. And we know what, what those things are. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Alex Bigum, one of our elders here, uh, did the, the the lesson, gave the, the Sunday morning lesson, and he talked about some folks that he greatly respected because of, of their attitudes, their, their character. They were morally excellent excellent these were men in whom he praised for their character don't you want to have that morally excellent character when i was watching the video of this transgender guy standing uh, sitting before the the united states senate to be the health and humane human services secretary i i could everything this person said, i was just thinking this is not a morally excellent person <laughs> Are you kidding? He wants children to choose for themselves what gender they want to be. They can't even pick the right meal to eat. Come on, ridiculous! I need to stop talking about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Morally excellent, and we're gonna we're gonna see how the things after this everything builds on that. If you want moral excellence, where do you go? How do you do that? Well, number one, that, that brings us to. That the second character, which is going to be number one for how to get moral excellence, here's what you need to add in order to achieve this. Knowledge. Knowledge. Now, a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at verses uh, 3 and 4, I talked about the word, the knowledge of him there in verse 3, of who called us. And that's the term epigonosko. There's our Greek term, epigonosko. It means to fully know, fully understand something. Well, maybe not fully understand, but a full knowledge of. Here in our in verse 5, knowledge, when he says, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, this is what you're adding, that is gnosko. That means in part, just a small part. It's not the whole thing, it's pieces of it and you're applying these things diligently with great effort, intense effort, into yourself. So you're finding bits and pieces of knowledge, right, uh, that you're bringing in in order to be morally excellent. And so you have to know where to find that. And so it begins with the word of God. We find things in there, right, that help us know and understand truth. This is intellectual knowledge, arriving at facts and truth. And such knowledge grows out of our pursuit of excellence. That which is praiseworthy. And it's not just the Bible, although that should be our main source, the Word of God, but we also find it in maybe like the song, the hymns we sing at services, or when we attend the worship service and we hear a good lesson or class, or or maybe we're reading a book, or maybe Maybe we know someone who's a Christian who is morally excellent. Like Alex Bagel was talking about those men who he found to be morally excellent. Just like what Paul said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Find those who are striving hard. And we can sometimes find good examples there of that. We cannot grow spiritually without knowledge. We cannot avoid being misled without knowledge. We cannot be light to the world without knowledge. We cannot be saved without knowledge. How do you obtain that? The worship service, Bible study, singing, finding morally excellent people. Number 3 attribute. So you get moral excellence, knowledge, add to that knowledge, add a, a knowledge, self-control. Self-control. This this word denotes power or or lordship. All these words uh, uh, that that really contain the idea of self-control have their root in a word that means to take hold of or grip. Have you ever been told, get a hold of yourself or or get a grip? It can simply mean to be in possession of or to take hold of. It describes the strength of soul by which we take hold of ourselves, by by which we get a grip on ourselves. It, It is Full control and possession of oneself, so that we restrain ourselves from every evil desire. That's self-control. So this is this is not behavioral, and what I mean by that is that we're not giving ourselves a set of rules and, and expected to live like a legalist. Not like that. This is a dying to self and living for Christ. This fruit will naturally grow in us when we cease to live and Christ lives in us. But that takes self-control, doesn't it? And recognition of who we are and who Christ is. And we can only have that with the right knowledge. But when we do it right, we begin to exhibit moral excellence. See how that works? Moral excellence. Knowledge. Self-control. Number three, uh, four, perseverance. Perseverance. Now, perseverance is a kindred term to patience, and patience has two, two different words in the Greek. Makrothumia, that means be patient with people. While, and then there's hupomone, and that refers to patience in circumstances. Literally, that means remaining under. That's this term, hupomone. It suggests an obvious dependence upon self-control. We need to endure adverse circumstances. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, how, how he endured under difficult circumstances. Uh, so did the prophets of old. And of course, so did Job, right? Didn't Job suffer in this way? I mean, greatly. He lost everything in the uh, course of just a matter of moments. And even his own wife told him to curse God and die. Now, after he lost all his things, he lost his children and then his own body with the boils and the sores from head to toe and he could not figure out why these things were happening and his own friends came and told him what you must have said Job and Job said no I did not and Job wasn't trying to be all self-righteous the whole book opens up with him giving sacrifice to God for sins, And even in case his children possibly sin, he gave sacrifice for that. That was to show us that this was a man striving very hard to be right in the eyes of God. And so, when he gave sacrifice, he did it with great faith. He, He knew God's word and he believed it. There was no doubting in his mind that if he did this with the right heart, God would forgive his sins. And so, with, with that, with zero doubt, he knew he was right before the eye of God. So he would not say, nope, God's not punishing me. I am right before the eyes of God. He had knowledge, didn't he? That's moral excellence. This is a man who has self-control and is persevering under great hardship. Now, why do we suffer? Well, God may be Testing our faith to prove it genuine, like Job. He may be disciplining us as children, like the Hebrew author tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. Or maybe like with Paul, God might be helping us depend on him. And what I'm talking about there is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, that's where Paul talks about having that thorn in the flesh. And he asked three times that God might remove it, and said, God said no, because... My power is perfected in weakness. When I am weak, Paul later says, then I am strong. In other words, you need to rely on me, God's saying. Not yourself. No boasting. It is all me. And that could be it too. Next, to perseverance is added godliness. Godliness. Not really godlikeness, since all these attributes are to bring us to divine nature, This is more like a God-wordness. It is the kind of respect for God that leads to a godly life. In many places in the Bible, it can almost be translated as religion. It is the summing up of the whole of the practical side of the Christian life. And it's connected with perseverance in the sense that one's patience in circumstances is due to our reference for God and understanding of Him. His purpose in trials. How can we grow through this in the same way as before? Through study, meditation, worship, worship, uh, uh, the singing, surrounding ourselves with morally excellent people. It's the asking, seeking, and knocking. You know, when we ask God for 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 these things, and God sends opportunities our way. And when that opportunity comes, we need to knock, and it will be opened unto us. And as we are doing these things, so. It's not, these aren't like steps where once you get this one, then you go work on this next attribute. All these things work together. We we, be, we begin to exhibit this godwardness, this godliness, because of the fact that we're seeking moral excellence and we're seeking out the knowledge for that moral excellence. And we are having self-control and that we are dying to self and living for Christ. And we are persevering under the difficult strains of life. And so that godliness is coming out. So with this upward growth toward the divine nature, this natural growth toward one another here in the body of Christ occurs. And that brings us to brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, that's the Philadelphia term. Phileo. Brotherly kindness or love is what we have for family. It grows out of the the soil of godliness, and we exhibit this fruit when we maintain unity. But families do fight, right? It happens all the time, but at the end of the day, we're still family, and we don't let outsiders tear us apart. Peter is telling us to show affection to one another that we don't show to the rest of the world. Paul says it like this in Galatians 6.10, So then while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. How do we de- or how can we develop this fruit within ourselves? Think positive thoughts about one another always. Don't assume anything. Don't assume anything bad about another brother or sister. Pray for one another often, always be in prayer. Exhibit a positive Or exhibit positive actions toward one another. And always, always look to Jesus as our example. And then add unto this love, agape love. This is not the love of emotion, but intellect. It is a decision of the mind. It does not spring up involuntarily, but it is commanded we, we may even love our enemies even though we don't like them. It means to seek the highest good for others. When we who are in the body of Christ came to him in faith, we were baptized into his death, securing our own death with him. That's Romans chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 2. We were given a new beginning by being given a new life. That is the very life of Christ. It is Christ's life that is now in us, or, or even more precise, it is Christ in us. And so we are now obligated to view this world as Christ viewed the world and conduct ourselves as he conducted himself. It is in the process of killing off our old nature and spirit and replacing it with this new one that we have in Christ as we grow toward and into the divine nature. This may also be referred to as the process of sanctification. That's what it is. Peter's saying that being holy is not automatic, and that reaching the Christian objective requires effort on our part. Therefore, let us all give diligence to implement Peter's teaching, right? That's what we're striving for. I hope this is encouraging. Please get when you when you get home. Take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Read through that. You'll see this. This is If you're uh, in the body of craft, you're a Christian, we need to be growing in this and not becoming stagnant. Uh, please uh, listen to this program. Again, if you need to or go to find that last one from of old, go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. Scroll down, find that radio mic and click on that for our links. You'll find this program and all the previous ones. Thank you so much for being here. Pray for our country. Pray that we move in the right direction and that we may do right before the Father and move away from these crazy things that are going on in this world today. Thank you, and God bless. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out.
0: This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.